going on, Football MD fam? We are back with episode 41 of the Football MD podcast. And by we, I mean I, Michael Bowling, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Ronan. And we have a jam-packed episode for you today. We're going to be covering some of the more prominent coaching changes that have taken place as of late and breaking down how these changes will impact team outlooks going forward. And then, of course, we have some football to recap after two nail-biter conference championship games from this past weekend. We're going to take an in-depth look at both Patriots, Chiefs, and Rams Saints. And if we have time, we'll get into some quick takes on what we can expect in Super Bowl 53. But let's get right into these coaching changes, starting with Cardinals' new head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. He was formerly the head coach at Texas Tech, where he really didn't do too great. He was fired after amassing a record of 35-40 and 40 after six years with the team. Then, back in December, he got hired as the offensive coordinator for USC, which lasted about a week before he took the head coaching job for the Arizona Cardinals. And this is kind of a weird situation, because he essentially got promoted after being fired. But when you look at the success that he's had with his offenses, you can see why the Cardinals would be interested. Kingsbury's collegiate offenses have averaged 42 points per game and 550 offensive yards per game. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what he's able to do with this Cardinals offense that really struggled in 2018. But at the very least, I think Kingsbury's arrival should bring some optimism for fantasy purposes. He runs a lot of four wide sets, loves to throw the ball, and especially to his running backs. Since 2014, Kingsbury's running backs have received 372 targets. That's sixth most in the NCAA, 293 receptions. That's sixth most in the NCAA, and 2,551 receiving yards. That's the fifth most in the NCAA. So I know that college isn't the NFL, but this is definitely something we'll have to keep in mind when projecting David Johnson in 2019. A bounce back year could certainly be in the works, even if the Cardinals still have a long way to go as a franchise. Another very relevant coaching change is the departure of Steve Sarkeesian from the Atlanta Falcons and the hire of Dirk Cutter. Dirk Cutter is formerly the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and also formerly the offense coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. In fact, Tampa's offense averaged 2.9 touchdowns per game. Even though he wasn't actually calling the plays, it still was his offense and in his scheme. I don't think this is necessarily a bad move, but it doesn't change much for Atlanta. They were the fourth heaviest passing offense in the NFL, and they were the ninth, and they were ninth in offensive touchdowns last year. So we're expecting this to continue to be a high-powered offense in 2019 with one of the better quarterbacks in football, Matt Ryan. And quite frankly, that's what this decision is all about. This is a comfortability thing for Matt Ryan. Atlanta knows that Matt Ryan is playing in the peak of his career right now. He is the best he is going to be, and if they do not take advantage of his talent now, then in a couple years he will be on the downslide of his career. And moving along, we'll move right into the Browns head coaching decision, and they hired Freddie Kitchens. I'm always a fan of hiring from inside your own organization, so to me this is an excellent move. Kitchens acted as the offense coordinator for the final eight games of the regular season, and during that time the Browns averaged 3.1 touchdowns per game. Browns also led the NFL in yards per play, tied for the NFL lead in yards per pass attempt, and they were also fourth in total yards per game and fourth in passing yards per game under Kitchens. So I really think this offense will con- will continue to improve. We saw Baker we saw Baker Mayfield flourish under this offensive scheme, averaging 282 passing yards and just over two passing touchdowns per game. So keeping Baker Mayfield comfortable with somebody he's already familiar with and somebody that he played well under in the second half of last season makes a lot of sense keeping him comfortable and an all and a great offensive minded coach taking over the reins for your organization 
is never a bad thing in today's NFL where you have guys like Sean McVay, Andy Reid, these great offensive line, these great offensive minds sustaining serious success years in and year out. And next up, we have another head coach signing with Matt LaFleur taking over for the Green Bay Packers. And this one's pretty interesting because LaFleur has a ton of experience. He's been the quarterback's coach of Notre Dame, the Atlanta Falcons, the Washington Redskins. He was also the Rams offensive coordinator in 2017. Of course, it was Sean McVay calling the plays that season, but still being a part of that coaching tree and a part of a prolific offense certainly does not hurt. And then most recently, he was the Titans offensive coordinator this past season. And it was a pretty tough year. I'm not going to deny that. The Titans were 26th in points per game, 29th in yards per game, but they were 7th in rushing yards per game, and, and a lot of their hardships in 2018 came from quarterback Marcus Mariota struggling. He was dealing with some injuries, and the Titans really didn't have much to work with in the passing game, especially after Delaney Walker went down for the season. So it's tough to tell how this one will work out. It's a very different situation now that LaFleur will be working with one of the best quarterbacks of all time and a prolific pass catcher in Devontae Adams. And I could also see this being a very good situation for running back Aaron Jones and the Packers run game. LaFleur, he has worked with Todd Gurley, Derrick Henry over the last two years, but I think this will really come down to whether or not he can earn the respect and the trust of Aaron Rodgers. We know that Rodgers has not been the easiest guy, I think is the way I'll put it, to work with in recent years. So I think if he can respect Matt LaFleur and adopt his offensive philosophy and trust him to make the right calls, I think this could be a very beneficial situation. But I will say I don't see this landing in the middle where anyone looks back and says, oh, that was an all right signing. I think this is either going to be kind of disastrous for the Green Bay Packers or they're going to be like, oh, wow, look at what LaFleur was able to do with Aaron Rodgers. So this is going to be one of the more interesting situations to monitor as the season progresses. But moving on, we have another head coach signing, and this one's for the New York Jets, and that is Adam Gase. I'm not going to talk about that weird press conference, but I do want to talk about his time in Miami where he didn't have a ton of success during his three years, but let's be honest, he also didn't have a lot of talent to work with. And I think this is a much more favorable position to be in here with the Jets. He has a promising young quarterback in Sam Darnold and some options in the passing game that have proven to be reliable at times. I do want to note that we've seen Gase show a propensity to utilize slot receivers. While in Miami, he had two solid years with Jarvis Landry, and we even saw Danny Amendola flash at times this past year. So the Jets' slot receiver could be an interesting role in 2019. And then on the flip side of that, Gase has not been a big fan of running the ball. Over his last three years with the Dolphins, the team ranked 27th in carries, despite averaging 4.5 yards per carry. So they were extremely efficient. They just weren't getting much work to go along with that. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how he utilizes Elijah McGuire and Isaiah Crowell, who I do think they kind of fill, I'm not going to say they're identical players, but they do kind of fill that Kenyon Drake, Frank Gore dynamic that he is familiar with from Miami. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring in another backfield option or if they roll with these guys and how they're able to perform in this system. And then the final head coach signing that I'm going to be talking about today is Bruce Arians to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think this seems like the perfect coach for the job. I think this is the perfect coach for quarterback Jameis Winston, one of the better deep ball passers in the NFL. And we know Arians loves to throw the ball deep. I also think that Arians is the type of coach to realize what he has in Winston. Winston is the type of quarterback that he's going to put up crazy yardage and he's going to put up high touchdown totals, but he's also going to throw some interceptions while he does it. And I think that Bruce Arians is the type of coach that's going to give him the chance. He's not going to bench him for Ryan Fitzpatrick and early on in the season and cut into his confidence. He's going to let Jameis Winston flourish and they're going to learn together and they're going to work through things. So I think this is a great signing for the Buccaneers and I'm just happy to see Bruce Arians back in football. He's you know a great personality, so... I'm excited to see how this one turns out. Can't disagree with that at all. And the other thing is, as far as the interceptions are concerned, Arians is also a guy who he can put him in a position. He can put Jameis Winston in a position for success and limit those mistakes. You know, 
he's always been good at getting quarterbacks to improve, whether it's mechanics, whether it's the intelligence of the game, whatever it might be that he attacks personally. He just typically sustains quarterback success and quarterback growth, which is the biggest thing because James Winston is still very young. He can still grow to be a better passer than he is, or at least a lot of times with interceptions, it's not that they're a bad passer. It's that they're making the wrong decisions. And that's something that Arians can definitely help with is the IQ side of things. So definitely a huge impact for Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Bucks there. But you know my concerns about Jameis Winston, and you really do have to start to consider moving on from him if he can improve within a year, two years' time. I think when you bring in a guy like Arians, you make the decision that he is going to be your guy, and you're giving going to give him a little bit more opportunity but how long does that last because he's already not he's already been too on the fence as is throughout his career yeah and you took the words right out of my mouth there I was going to say this is kind of the best situation for Jameis Winston to prove himself as a top tier quarterback a true franchise quarterback in the NFL so if he's not able to do it with Bruce Arians then the Buccaneers definitely have a lot to consider with their future going forward. Just a couple more noticeable coaching changes. And the first one, alongside with Arians, he's bringing from the Arizona Cardinals, Byron Leftwich, who was the offense coordinator there. And he's going to be the offense coordinator again in Tampa Bay. And the reason why I find that interesting is because, quite frankly, I can draw a lot of similarities between the two. Byron Leftwich and Jameis Winston are both 6'5", 240-pound quarterbacks who were both drafted very high, Jameis Winston first overall, and Byron Leftwich seventh overall in 2003. Both played in Florida. Both were are semi-mobile quarterbacks who are pass-first quarterbacks, but they can move a little bit. And Leftwich also had his fair share of interception struggles, which ultimately led to him not being the franchise quarterback Jacksonville picked him to be, and ultimately transitioning him into a quick coaching career rather than a long extensive NFL career as a player also an interesting move Mike Munchak to the Denver offensive line from the Steelers offensive line coach that is a huge move for Denver because Munchak has had a top 10 offensive line unit for pretty much his whole career as the Steelers offense offensive line coach he's just put together an impressive unit and moving to Denver you you can expect great things from him and an improved offensive line no doubt. The other head coach hired was Vic Vangio to to also the Denver Broncos. He is the one who contacted Munchak and brought him in. And Vic Vangio, I mean, what can you say about this guy? He started his NFL coaching career in 1986 as a linebackers coach for the New Orleans Saints. DeMarcus Ware referred to him as a defensive mastermind, and he's been all over since. He's been with the Saints, the Panthers, the Colts, the Texans, the Ravens, the 49ers, the Chicago Bears. And he was the defense coordinator for the Chicago Bears just last season where they had the top defensive unit in the NFL. Now the head coach for the Denver Broncos. Obviously a strong defense team with plenty of weapons at his disposal with Chubb, Von Miller, Chris Harris Jr. And and the list goes on and on. So a perfect fit and a great hire in my opinion. I'm surprised that this is his first head coaching stint. I was a little surprised when I figured that out, but it is this is his first attempt at being a head coach, and that definitely surprised me quite a bit. The other two open head coaching positions are 
the Bengals, and the Dolphins. And they haven't made official hirings because the Bengals are rumored to Zach Taylor, the Rams quarterback coach. Obviously, being in the Super Bowl doesn't allow them to be hired right now because they're still coaching for their current teams. But the rumor is that the Bengals will be hiring Zach Taylor and the Dolphins in the same position with Brian Flores, the Pats defense coordinator. Those hires seem to be pretty much a given. It's just that it has yet to be finalized because both of those coaches are still coaching in the Super Bowl against one another. And that's all that we have for some of the more prominent coaching changes that have taken place as of late. Of course, make sure you continue to tune in on all of our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FootballMDPod. And keep listening to the podcast because we're going to keep you up to date with all of the coaching changes as they come out. But we still have some awesome football games to get to from this past weekend, starting with the NFC Championship game between the Los Angeles Rams beating the New Orleans Saints 26-23. to And of course, the pass interference call is the big story of this game. And I'm typically of the belief that no single call or any one play can determine the ultimate outcome of a game. But this one was just really, really bad. I know we always hear people say that you can't leave it up to the refs, but in a conference championship game, sometimes it is that close. I would get it if it was a tough call to make, but this was a blatant pass interference call that costed the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I actually couldn't agree more. Like, it was definitely egregious. It was definitely blasphemous. Absolutely. It was it really shouldn't not have happened. But I will say, I do also agree with no one play loses you a game. You can't leave the game in the hands of the refs. If it's that close, then you didn't do your job anyway. You can't leave it up to the refs when you're thinking that there's going to be some human error. Of course, there's always going to be human error in the NFL. It's humans playing the game, and it's humans calling the game. But when it is this blatant, you have to at least be able to trust the referees to be adept enough to make a blatant call like this. Agreed, but like I said, you had opportunities before and after Very true. that call to still win that game. You weren't out of that game. It didn't take you out of the game. It might have brought the other team into the game. It might have facilitated them staying competitive in that game. But it did not take you out of the game. You still had opportunities to win that game, both on the defense and offensive side of the ball. So I personally wouldn't call it, you know, like that's the reason why you lost. For example... I think you're just a Falcons fan that's <laughs> happy to see the Saints oh, lose. Oh, I am always happy to see, <laughs> see the Saints lose. But... I also am a fan of, you know, the NFL getting it right. I don't think teams should be losing for the wrong reasons. And don't get me wrong, this one hurts. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from them. But again, like, I just think, like, the way Sean Payton handled it versus Drew Brees, like, Sean Payton, oh, we'll never get over it, crying, crying, crying about it. Drew Brees was a man about it. He walked in, he, he said the same thing. He said, we could have won the game before, we could have won the game after the call, we were in the game. Both sides played great games. Yes, it was a bad call, but it didn't lose you the game. Drew Brees handled it like a man. I would have liked to see Sean Payton also be that way, but Sean Payton has a knack for these type of things, being really immature. He's gotten into it with players before, talking shit from the sidelines, which you're a head coach. You should hold yourself to a little bit of a higher standard than jawing with with players. That's players, you know, let them play. They do that. That's fine. Some of them are 22 years old, 25 years old. They're immature. They're amped up on adrenaline from the game. And not that you're not, but like I said, you're a head coach. You're the face of an organization, a multi-million dollar business. You should hold yourself a little bit higher standard. And as for remedying this situation, you really can't. In my opinion, the two refs that were nearby need to lose their jobs. 
I doubt that happens because the NFL is very defensive of, you know, the people that they have employed. But I just think they don't deserve to be, like you said, ineptness. They don't they don't deserve to be calling NFL football games, especially not ones that are of such value, such high, high you know, importance. Um, but the only thing I do think you do is you change the rules going forward. The ability to challenge penalties has to be reviewed. And I'm not saying I have all the answers as far as to how exactly you implement that rule. Men much smarter than myself should be able to figure that out. But that being said, you know, Canadian Football League does it and it's all to no detriment of the play on the field. It doesn't slow down the game. It doesn't hurt the play. It doesn't hurt the play on the field. It's just simply to make sure that the calls are being correct and that, you know, they're not altering the pace of the game because the refs really shouldn't be able to do that. You know what I mean? And they obviously have the power to do so, but you want to limit that as much as possible. I couldn't agree more on that situation. Of course, something has to be done about the way that penalties are handled, and we're really not the ones to decide what that what those answers are. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the league progresses with this situation going forward. But with that being said, I also don't want to take anything away from the Los Angeles Rams here because if we look back at this one, like you said, their defense really stepped up and caused the Saints to miss out on some crucial opportunities, especially right in the first quarter where the Saints couldn't capitalize in the red zone. They had to settle for two field goals, and that left the door open for this Rams team who really went to battle. They got themselves back into the game, and if they weren't able to keep things competitive, then that call at the end of the game wouldn't have helped them in any way. So shout out to the Rams and shout out to Jared Goff. I was really impressed with his performance in this one. We said that he would have to step up if the Rams wanted to win this game and he did just that, especially in a game where they were essentially without Todd Gurley or much of a running game at all for that matter. And he really just showed that he can come through for his team in a big time situation. Now, you know, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with that last point. I really don't think running backs are a huge factor. C.J. Anderson filled in fine as long as Todd Gurley has been out, averaging 140 yards per game behind that offensive line. And I say behind that offensive line because that's what matters to a run game more than the player behind it. I was explaining to you my theory is the offensive line is responsible for the first five yards. Yes, an elite athlete at the running back position might benefit you after those first five yards. You get what I'm saying? Like, Maybe they take a five-yard gain and turn it to a 10, 15-yard gain because they break a tackle, they juke a defender, they they're get into open space. Maybe they make more house calls, long-distance house calls, than, say, a C.J. Anderson. But if the offensive line paves you that first five yards and you put your shoulder down, no matter what, no matter what running back is running the ball for you, they are going to have success. So I do believe that the running back position is – a little overvalued in the NFL sometimes, and I think that it's a lot more replaceable than other positions. But as a whole, I definitely agree with you as as far as the Rams stepped up when they needed to. Yes, they did have a little help from the referees, but that is what it is. You can't do anything about I that. I do also want to jump in real quick and say that this conversation about the importance of having a star running back on your team is definitely going to be a conversation for another episode, because I know we both have pretty strong feelings that differ quite a bit yeah. on this topic oh, but what I was just referring to in this game is Todd Gurley and CJ Anderson they combined for 54 yards and one touchdown so yeah. they got a lot done through the air so that's why I was giving Jared Goff the shout out and the props for this win well absolutely and and the Saints have a very good run defense yeah. they have all season long and I think the same that you were saying regardless of who your running back is our yeah. run game itself is important yeah. so and, they just didn't have that in this one and to go even further with that the way you stop the run game is not by stopping the running back. You stop the blocking scheme, 
you put pressure where you know you fill you fill gaps the way you're supposed to. You have a linebacker um, blitzing holes and you know destroying the blocking schemes and and you know whatever blocking techniques are being used. Destroying those is really how you destroy the run game, not by necessarily playing the running back. But as a whole, yes, they did step up, and yes, they did finally take home that victory. And I do feel for the Saints a little bit, as much as I hate them. That is a rough, <laughs> rough way to win. You know, you know, as an athlete, like that kills you to lose a game where you, you know, I would rather lose and have it all be on me. Yes. You know, I would rather have it blown. And but that question mark of well, the rest called. Did it really impact the game that much? You know, like I said, Drew Brees. He did. He was a man about it. He, you know, he said, you know, we had other opportunities, this and that. But you know, deep and down inside, you go home and you're like, did we just get robbed? Did we really just get robbed? And that's hard to sit with. Yeah, for sure. Anytime that you get beaten, you know that you gave it your all and did everything that you could, and you still lose. You can kind of come to terms with it just a little bit more. It's the not having the chance of being able to say that you gave it your all and things couldn't have gone any other way where it really starts messing with your mind so that's just tough for the Saints and you know I'm definitely expecting Drew Brees to be back next year and I think as long as Drew Brees is back I think this offense is going to continue to develop this defense is a young defense I think they're going to continue to develop and we can see them right back in this situation so if you are a Saints fan you know keep your head up because I don't think sorry Dan I don't think the days of the uh, the season that we just saw are over just yet well don't worry I think Atlanta will be right back at the top of that division next year. But that's a different conversation for a different day. And But it, not just this year for the Saints, you know. Two back-to-back devastating losses in the playoffs with that uh, Minnesota miracle that they had. Stephon you know? Diggs. And then, um, and then again this year. But I will say, to wrap up this game as a whole, I was much more impressed with both with both of the AFC teams as opposed to the NFC teams. I almost wish we could see that Pats Chiefs game again in the Super Bowl. Um, that's how good it was and that's how well deserving I think both of those teams were. A little bit more so than both the Saints and the uh, Rams, which I'm surprised about. It surprised me because I always I'm a big advocate for the NFC being actually the stronger conference, but the Pats and the Chiefs definitely gave me some question there on that one. Yeah, this was an awesome game for the AFC Conference Championship. Of course, the Patriots walked away with this one, 37-31 over the Kansas City Chiefs. And if I told you before this game that Tom Brady would throw two interceptions and Patrick Mahomes wouldn't throw any, what percentage chance would you have given the Patriots to win this one? Absolutely none. If you're going to tell me that Tom Brady's throwing interceptions and Patrick Mahomes protecting the football, I'm giving the W to the Chiefs, no doubt. Got to agree with that one, but of course... The Patriots did it again, and it really seemed like the Patriots had it locked up after shutting the Chiefs out in the first half, but you can never count out that Chiefs offense. They scored 31 points after halftime, and it took a 13-play, 75-yard drive in overtime for the Patriots to walk away with the W. And I also wanted to bring up the NFL's overtime rules here real quick, because if the Chiefs happen to win that coin flip, I think it's very likely that they would be the ones heading to the Super Bowl right now. And and I just think that both teams should get a chance to touch the ball in overtime. If Team A scores, Team B should have the opportunity to match them. I don't think that it would extend the game too long. It's not often the teams trade touchdown for touchdown in the NFL, but at least giving the other team a chance seems like a more fair way to do it, at least for the playoffs. Do you agree with that? or Now, the way the rules are set up, I do agree that if the Chiefs win that coin toss, they might go down and score and, you know. I mean, but, they, they scored 31 points in the second half. They're going to keep that fire going. But, but also, out of respect for Bill Belichick and the Patriots, 
I'll say I don't think they would be complaining about being in, on defense in that situation. The Chiefs' defense was terrible all year. They might step up in so, at home sometimes. They might step up, step up in situational football. But they were literally one of the worst units, if not the worst unit, in football this year. So, yeah, when it comes down to it, you don't want to trust that defense to win you a playoff game. But I do think it's only fair. I don't think you deserve, you know, an extra possession. You know, you're not at a disadvantage just because your defense is on the field. You might not possess the football, but you are both at the 30-yard line. They have to go 70 yards, and you have to stop them. The first initial field goal does not win you the game. I just don't see why we look at it as, you know, it's only fair for the offense that gets the football. But that's not the case. You're a professional football team. And you have to be able to play defense, or at least you should be able to play defense. If you can't trust, you know, either side of the ball to win you that game in that position, you didn't build your team appropriately, you know? I'm not saying that the rules, because I do agree, the rules nowadays do typically give a little bit of advantage to the offense. We know that's the case. You can't mug wide receivers no more. You can't hit a quarterback too hard. You can't hit them low. You can't hit them high. You can't hit anybody with the ball, any ball carrier in the head. You can't. Just too much that you can't do anymore from the defensive side of football. But I don't like the excuses. I really don't. You're on the field just like the offense is. You have an opportunity just like the offense does. The offense has to go further than you have to stop them. You get what I'm saying? So, in my opinion, like, as a professional football player and as a professional football team, you really are going to complain that, you know, you didn't have enough. It's not like the offense is going up against nobody. You get what I'm saying? It's not like there's nobody on the field. You have a guy on the team. You have the guys on the field. You got to play defense. They're professional football players. Your defense, you know, if you're a bad defense team, you might not be confident in that. You know, you might be more aimed for for an offensive, you know, being on the offensive side of the ball. But you don't always get that luxury. A coin flip is as fair as it gets. It's 50-50. And I'm not, and you can't argue that that's what decided the game. You had 70 yards to stop them from driving. What'd you say the drive was? 13 plays and 75 yards. Any one of those 13 plays could be a turnover. Any one of those 75 yards could be a turnover. You could not get any 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 one of those first downs along the way. You could end up kicking a field goal, and then you do get that extra possession that you're talking about. The yeah. Chiefs didn't play defense. That's part of the game of football. Man, I'm not going to lie. I think you did actually sway me a little bit on these overtime rules because I think the way they are set up, it makes you need to have an ultimate all-around football team. You're strong on defense. You're strong on offense. I really can't disagree with you there. I would still like to see the other offense. I think just because it was the Patriots and the Chiefs and it was such an exciting offensive game, that'd be awesome to see as a fan. But I do 100% understand what you're saying and it makes me understand the rules a little bit better um, why they're fair for both teams. You're a professional football team. You should be able to play defense. There's teams in the NFL that would be more than happy yeah. to play defense Dude, in that situation. Like you said, between the Patriots and the Chiefs, of course the Chiefs are not thrilled about their defense having to win them the game. Their defense hasn't hasn't won them a game all season, pretty much. I'm sure the Ravens wouldn't be uncomfortable with their defense, you know, with the with their defense having the game on the line and the ball in the defensive hand, so to speak, you know. The possession is an abstract thing, almost. Yeah, you get what I'm saying? It kind of like, just exposed their shortcomings. In yes, a way. that team has the football. Yeah. But if you're the better football team, there's no reason why 
Your defense can't get one takeaway. Your defense can't get one stop. No, I actually, I really do appreciate your outlook on this whole situation. It definitely changed my outlook on the situation as well. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of Chiefs fans that are going to be harping on what the overtime rules are or should be going forward. But regardless, this was really just a great game. And the Patriots, whether you like the way the game turned out or not, they really just find another gear in the postseason, and they do a great job of putting themselves in a position to win. And it seems like they really emphasize and understand the importance of every single down and just out-execute their opponents. We said it last week that this isn't the most talented Patriots team that we've seen, and that lack of athleticism and speed that we were talking about, it's still there. But they just do a great job of masking it with the schemes that they run. And Sonny Michelle was a huge part of that for the Patriots. They were able to control the football. He had 29 carries, 113 yards, two touchdowns touchdowns and then of course we should all expect this by now but James White, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski they're doing it in the playoffs every single year they're just making plays in the postseason where it matters the most and even Rex Burkhead had a big impact in this game with two touchdowns they really just get the most out of their personnel they know exactly what to expect out of each position each player that they have on their offense and I feel like they kind of figure that out as the season goes on and they're not afraid to adjust they might come in September with a certain game plan And then they realize that's not the best version of themselves, and they're continuously tweaking it throughout the season until we get to this point, the AFC Championship game, and they just have this, they just have it figured out, and it results in this win. They're going to the, you know, now they're going to the Super Bowl. And I really couldn't agree anymore. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I was rooting for the Chiefs because after my Atlanta Falcons lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I will never be okay with rooting for the New England Patriots. But you know. You spoke to it already, but I'll touch on it a little bit. To me, it's it's three things, and you, you made fun of me like they're very similar words. And But let me break them down for you. You have preparedness, game plan, and strategy. I just want to say, Dan goes, write these three things down. I'm like, all right. He goes, game plan, preparedness, strategy. I'm like, all right, you just said the same three words. The, let's be honest, though. Ways. That's because those are my shorthands. I don't need much notes. <laughs> no, he, I just need those three words to remind me exactly what I'm about to talk about here. No, he, he is right, though. He is right, though. And let me break it down for I, you. I'll let the expert get to it here. So, preparedness. No matter what happens to, to this team throughout the season, they come prepared regardless. You know, Josh Gordon was their deep threat all season, allowed them to stretch the field and make a lot of plays. Gordon's no longer available, so what do they do? They come prepared. They change everything they do all season and all of a sudden they're getting the ball out of Tom Brady's hand quickly in short passing situations and running the ball a lot more than they were all season. They're prepared. No matter what happens, no matter what, no excuses, the Patriots come prepared. Secondly, the game plan. Let me just ask you, Travis Kelsey, Tariq Hill, how many times did you hear their name? I'm not going to lie. I had to go back and look at the usage of Travis Kelsey because I thought he was way more involved than he really was, but he actually was not super productive by any means in this game. And then Tyreek Hill, I think the Patriots just did a great job of shutting down that huge threat on that Chiefs offense. Yeah, so just in general, um, the offense wasn't what it normally is. Patrick Mahomes, 16 of 31. That's one incompletion away from 50%. Not very good. Now, yes, he threw three touchdowns, no interceptions, but he only threw for 295 yards. I say only 295 yards because that's not as good as you might expect from Patrick Mahomes and from a team that put up 31 points. The run game, 10 carries for 30 yards, 3 yards per carry average. Eh, not impressive. 
You know, Tariq Hill, only one reception for 42 yards. Travis Kelsey, three receptions for 23 yards. The real standout was Sammy Watkins, who only had four receptions for 114 yards. So, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Their game plan is always on point. It's what the game plan needs to be. That's never off of what they need. So, for example, they played man-to-man coverage on Sammy Watkins. So, yes, you let up four receptions for 114 yards, but that was the man-to-man coverage with the best cornerback in the NFL this year, as per Pro Football Focus gave, as per Pro Football Focus grade, Stephon Gilmore. On the other side, you had Tyreek Hill, who received a double-team all game, and then Travis Kelsey was blanketed over the middle. So... Like I said, just the game plan in general is just always spot on and always executed in an impressive fashion. And then the strategy. They adjust in-game and they make sure that they're in head of the ball as far as strategy is concerned. With Sonny Michel, who is their best running back as for running the ball, with him in the game, the Patriots run a stellar almost 90% of the time. The opposite, James White, who is their best pass catcher, when he is in the game, they throw the ball about 80% of the time. So both of these players, as good as they are, forecast what the Patriots are not only trying to do, but what they're most likely about to do. So that leaves Rex Burkhead in the middle. And it was by no mistake that down the stretch, Rex Burkhead was getting the most snaps, and the most carries, and the most touches. Because having him in the game allowed you to keep the defense honest. That was the strategy they needed down the stretch to hold on to the lead that they acquired in the first half. And that's what I mean by game plan, preparedness, and strategy. Yes, they all are very similar different words, but they mean very different things to the New England Patriots. They execute all three of them flawlessly, and that is why they have such stains and that is why they have such sustained success for so very long. Yeah, and when talking about that long-term success that you just mentioned, we cannot ignore the insane continuity that the Patriots have had with their coaching staff. Bill Belichick, he's been with New England for 19 years. During that time, he's had Josh Daniels, his current offensive coordinator, for 15 years. Offensive line coach Dante Skarniecki, he's been there for 17 of those 19 years. And their running backs coach, Ivan Fierce, has been there for all 19 of Bill Belichick's years. You really do not see that in today's NFL, and I think that continuity on that Patriots offense goes a long way for that type of success that you were just talking about. And I know this is a little bit preemptive. Neither of us have had the opportunity to really dive deep through these matchups and find out which team situation we like more to come through with the W in Super Bowl 53. But which team, just off the cuff, do you think is going to have the better chance of walking away with the victory here? You know how I feel about the Patriots. I got to go with the Rams. I will be rooting for them. But... If I'm a betting man, I'm putting my money on the Patriots. The experience goes a long way in this game. Halftime is twice as long. It makes it difficult to, you know, stay in game flow while the game is going on. The week of preparation is a lot more difficult because all the media, all the different directions, people are pulling you in, family, friends, travel, all this different stuff. It's just not a normal football game, and it's advantageous for a team that's been there before and done it before 
I think that goes a long way for the New England Patriots. Yeah, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady with an extra week to prepare. That's a scary situation. I'm going to be going with the Patriots here as well. And that is all that we have for today's episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And we've been promising some exciting content that you'll all get to experience in the next few weeks. So I'm going to turn this over to Dan real quick because he has a little preview of some of the things that you'll be able to look forward to this coming offseason. For those of you who know me, know that I am an aspiring NFL scout. And because of this, the NFL draft is one of my absolute favorite parts of football. So I'm very excited to announce this weekend I will be dropping my first ever mock draft. Now, don't get me wrong. This is more of a fun project. I'm not really shooting for accuracy here. It's just something that's entertaining and something that I find fun. And I hope that you guys find it as such as well. Then, starting the next week, I will be bringing you the player spotlights or scouting reports for the top players at every position in the upcoming draft. In the weeks following that, we will be breaking down team-by-team needs and how these teams will fill said needs, whether it be via free agency or the draft, while also talking about what players specifically fit schematically for each of these teams. After the draft and as the offseason nears its end, we will recap, and our recapping of the offseason should take us right into our preparation for the 2019 season for both football and fantasy purposes. So what we have planned is really going to be all year round, and I am personally very excited for it. I'm sure Mike is as well. I hope that you guys are either already as excited for it as we are or going to get just as excited for it as we are. Yes, the offseason is one of the most exciting times of the year, so make sure that you continue to tune in every week on the podcast. We're going to continue to keep you guys up to date with all of the football information that you guys need. And for even more Football MD content, make sure that you're tuning in over at footballmdpodcast.com and following us on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at footballmdpod. But I really cannot thank you guys enough. Thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy the Pro Bowl this weekend, guys. We have a little bit of time before the Super Bowl comes, and be on the lookout for all of the updates that we're going to be giving you on that game. We're going to be doing an episode fully breaking down the Super Bowl matchup between the Rams and Patriots next weekend. So keep tuning in. Football MD Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Have a great week.